Our study is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. If you'd open your Bibles and follow along as I read these verses. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I may also be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ's. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, but also on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, yet not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. The title of the sermon is, Be an Example of Good Examples. You may already know that in 1918, we experienced the worst recorded pandemic in recent history. The CDC estimates that about 500 million people, or one-third of the world's population, became infected with the virus, with at least 50 million deaths worldwide, 675,000 of those occurring in the United States. But did you know that to maintain morale, World War I censors minimized the early reports of illness and mortality in Germany, the United Kingdom, France, and the United States. The papers were free to report the epidemic's effects in neutral Spain, and these stories created the false impression that Spain had been hit the hardest. This gave rise to the pandemic's nickname, the Spanish flu. You know, the medical world is still trying to find a cure for COVID-19. On Friday, I googled, I did a Google search for COVID-19 treatment, and these were some of the responses that popped up. COVID-19, treatment might already exist. Or, COVID-19, how is it treated? Or, COVID-19, how do you treat it at home? My favorite was COVID-19. Best remedy is prevention. Though the medical world is still searching for the cure, what they do know is that people are dying and they need help. As odd as it seems, for as much as we hear or read about this being a pandemic, 
I've had a hard time wrapping my mind around this being something that is impacting the entire world. I hear the facts, but what I have experienced and what I feel here in Fargo is different than what's happening around the world. COVID-19 has impacted my plans because I'm told that it should. And as I look around my house, out the window, drive around town, everything looks normal. For those who have not been who have been without any outside contact for the past 12 weeks, they don't even know this problem exists. You know, people are panicking because they've been told there is nothing that will help them. People are fighting over the privilege to overstock. And rather than pulling together, we see divisions across the United States and accusations as to who is at fault rather than looking for a solution. As short-sighted, as these things seem, you know, the Philippians were struggling with the same kinds of problems, except some of them looked more foolish than even what we see in our society today because the Philippians knew the solution. I'm not talking about COVID-19 or the Spanish flu. I'm talking about the importance of people hearing about the gospel. You see, true joy comes when we invest our lives in what can't be taken away. Find your current role and keep your eyes on the goal, remembering your mission. Philippians 2 begins with the plea, work together for the sake of the goal and the mission. And then he begins by saying, remember how your life has changed and why it changed. He begins by mentioning four things. He says, remember the consolation, the encouragement which is in Christ. He wanted people to remember that their lives had changed because of the gospel. They were on their way to hell, and through Christ, they are now on their way to heaven. He talked about the comfort of love. This is describing the certain and secure relationship they now have with God. Their salvation is secure because of God's love for them and because of the gospel. The fellowship or the partnership in the Spirit, he was describing to them that now they've been enabled. They have experienced, they have gone from, from sinning living to winning living through the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit because of the gospel. And finally, he mentions bowels and mercies. As we've talked about these two words, these are kind of hard to understand. But it literally means affection, sympathy, compassion. And Paul was reminding the Philippian people, they have experienced undeserved sympathy and compassion because of the gospel. They needed the gospel because they were justly condemned to eternal separation from everything good and there was no hope. Why would Paul focus on these four facts of the gospel? They could easily forget the impact the gospel had made in their lives. What had changed since they were saved? Everything had changed. Their citizenship, their situation had changed, that's the consolation. 
Their personal relationship with God had permanently changed. That's the comfort of love. Their empowerment or resources for daily living had changed. And the care and compassion they had experienced had changed all and only because of the gospel. Jesus made the statement, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she hath loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Paul was reminding the Philippians about what they had in the gospel because it's easy to forget how desperately we needed the gospel and we begin to love little. Remembering what the gospel means in your life is so important because it impacts the way we view the gift and the urgency we feel to get the news out, to get this gift out to others. When we lose sight of the why, it's easy to get discouraged in the middle of our where and what. What Paul and what the Philippians were going through were difficult times. Where Paul was was unpleasant. It was, the, it was only the why he was there that made life make sense. Paul was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. His life purpose was to bring attention or glory to God and let others know him. His mission was to spread the gospel, that it was possible to be made right with God, and that God wants you to be made right with him. His mission was to share the love of God to the known world by getting out the gospel. The only way to accomplish his life mission was to go to places where it meant possibly being bumped around what happened to him and possibly jailed where happened to him so that the gospel, why he was experiencing the what and where, would make sense. Paul told them in verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul wanted them to look beyond having their needs being met and to look out and to see others. In verses 5 through 11, Paul, pointed, Paul painted the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was focused on others. In verses 12 through 16, Paul reminded them that they have a role to play for which they have been saved. He says, work out your own salvation, your own salvation purpose with fear and trembling. The Amplified Bible helps us to understand what Paul is saying to consider when it, when it gives these various words it, it almost acts like a thesaurus for us. In verse 12, we read, Work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling. Literally, self-distrust with seriousness, with tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Not in your own strength, for it is God who is, the, who is all the while effectually working in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Who does that? Who lives like that? Who can do that? In these last verses of chapter 2, Paul's going to illustrate what those four changes in your life, in verses 1 and 2, mean practically when accomplishing your role in the mission by highlighting two people that the Philippian people knew, Timothy and Epaphroditus, two partners in getting out the gospel. Let's begin at verse 19 and look at Timothy. Now, just as a reminder, Timothy was the son of a mixed marriage. Though it was condemned by stricter Jews, it was very common in the first century. Timothy's father's name is unknown. He was a Greek or a Gentile by descent, according to Acts 16. The absence of any personal allusion to the father in Acts or the epistle suggests that Timothy's dad must have died or disappeared during his infancy. His mother Eunice and grandmother Lois made his education very Jewish. We read, from a child he learned to know the Holy Scriptures daily. The arrival of Paul and Barnabas in Lyconia in 44 AD brought the gospel message to Timothy and his mother, and they received it with unfeigned faith. During the interval of the seven years between the apostles' first and second journeys, Timothy grew up to manhood. Now let's look at verse 19. He says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Notice the role in the mission that Timothy played. First, he had care for the church. In verse 20, we read, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Timothy's genuine concern about their welfare. Naturally, people look out for their own selves. Paul was telling them, don't just say, oh, that's just Timothy. I can remember when I was young, a friend of mine and I were tempted to do something. And as we talked about it, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And my friend said, oh, well, that's just because you're the pastor's son. The reality was, it wasn't because of me being a pastor's son, I was tempted just like he was being tempted. You see, Paul was saying, don't just say, well, this is Timothy. And of course, Timothy would make the right decision. He says, naturally, people look out for themselves. Yet Timothy looked out for the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, he, because he cared about Jesus Christ, he cared for others. Not only did he care for the Lord Jesus Christ, but Timothy, we learn, cared for Paul. Literally, he was like a slave to Paul. There we read, verse 22, But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel. 
Literally, he says, you know the proof. He has been proved and tested and verified. Just as a son serves the father, so Timothy served Paul. Timothy was willing to take second place. Timothy was willing to be in the background. Timothy didn't care what role he had as long as the goal, the mission, was accomplished. Verse 22, we read that he was a slave to the gospel. He hath served with me in the gospel. Later, Timothy's role is going to change. It changed to the role of teacher. It came changed to the role of overseer. It changed to the role. You see, the mission was still the same, but the role changed. Sometimes our role changes. God will place us in different roles, but we all have the same mission. Timothy was a wonderful example of how you could have joy in the middle of difficult times. And that's because Timothy's goal, his mission, was what brought him joy. Not his circumstances and not the people that he was around. Epaphroditus is our second example. Paul begins in verse 25. He says, Yet... I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. You see the background of Epaphroditus. He was, Epaphroditus was a very common name in the Roman period and it meant handsome. Sometimes the name occurs in a contracted form, a shortened form, and they would call that person Epaphras rather than Epaphroditus. On Epaphroditus' arrival at Rome, he not only delivered the package, but he devoted himself to the work of Christ, both as Paul's attendant and as his assistant in missionary work. Epaphroditus labored so unselfishly that he lost his health and was sick, right to the point of dying. Paul, speaking to them, says, Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death. You see, Paul wanted the church to receive him with joy and hold him in honor, Paul calls him my brother and fellow worker, my fellow soldier. These three words are an arrangement of an ascending scale, of common sympathy, of common work, of common danger, toil, and suffering. Paul wanted the Philippian people to follow good examples you see, what was Epaphroditus' role in the mission? Well, first it was delivery of a package. He traveled over 1,500 miles to bring this gift to Paul. He gave devoted service. There was no suspicion. He was a trusted brother to Paul for their well-being. Verse 25 tells us he was a fellow laborer. 
helping Paul in the mission. He had a role in accomplishing the mission, and he was a fellow laborer, fellow soldier. Verse 30, for the work of the Christ, he was near death. Paul's saying, look up to these kind of men. In chapter 3, he's going to contrast these humble men and their service to others, comparing that to those who are proud and self-serving. Paul, in this short thank you letter, wanted them to know that true joy comes when we invest our lives in what cannot be taken away. He says, find your current role and keep your eyes on the goal, remembering your mission. Paul challenges them and us to look at the goal, to focus on the mission, to bring glory to God because he's worthy. Bring glory to God because he's what is, because of what he's done in your life. He's always the same. He's never changing. Paul focuses on the mission. The goal was to bring glory to God. The mission, to get the gospel out to those in need. Everyone has a role in that mission. As the sorties go out of your role, as the sorties go out, your role in the mission may change. But the mission stays the same. Look at these heroes. Look at these who ought to be role models. They ought to be examples. Their lives demonstrated the way to true joy. Paul's life demonstrated the way to true joy. The life of our Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated the path to true joy. There is a joy that comes from recognizing your real reason for still being here. You know, we're living in interesting days. I don't know how God is going to use you today, but I do know that even though COVID-19 is impacting our daily schedules, the real purpose for your life is still the same. Your goal and your mission are still the same. Glorify God in your life and look to share the gospel in each circumstance. Your role may change, but your mission has not. The world, the world is full of people who either do not know or are distracted from the gospel message. Don't let your circumstances, your failed relationships, your possessions or lack of, or even your reputation distract you from what will bring true fulfillment, true joy. Look for the role God has for you and find your joy today in focusing on your goal and your mission. Happy Sunday.